You're listening to Roots. Everyone has a story. Hosted by my dad, Mike Scuzzeri. In this first-of-its-kind podcast, I will be talking to everyday family researchers and dive into their own family history to discuss their own incredible stories and research techniques. To learn more about the show, please visit www.rootseveryonehasastory.com. And if you have questions, comments, or feedback, please email me at rootseveryonehasastory at gmail.com. You can also follow the show at Roots Everyone Has a Story on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Roots. I am your host, Mike Scazzari, and today I'm doing an episode that I never thought I would be doing. I have been researching this one particular member of my family for nearly 30 years. And I've known about her for a long time. I've tried to follow her story. And since I first found out about her, I have been stumped. This has been one of my main brick walls in my family tree. And it's not even a major one. This is somebody that is my grandmother's first cousin, my maternal grandmother's first cousin. But she's somebody that just always puzzled me. She's somebody that I really felt was around. I felt that she was still alive all this time. And I just, I didn't know what became of her. And over the years, I've learned little bits of information about her. And I've been able to kind of put her story together as best I could. And it was a couple of years ago when I really broke through some stuff and it really opened to open my eyes to what her her real story is so unfortunately with this side of my family there's really nobody around that I can really talk to about this there's nobody around that would have known her that is alive my grandmother's been gone for a very very long time Um, and there's nobody you know there's some aunts and uncles but there's nobody that has a a true vested interest in what became of her because they wouldn't have even have known about her so what I decided to do today was I'm passing the story to the next generation. So as we, as we heard on episode three, when I had my kids here, I have asked my son to be here. So Brendan, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. So Brendan's here. Brendan is 10 years old. And I'm going to be kind of telling Brendan the story of my grandmother's first cousin And getting his reaction, because I think we all like a good old, you know, classic crime thriller, right? Crime? And and that's what this is kind of, what it's kind of become. When you said you would do a podcast with me about family history, you said it would be a crazy story. The second you said crime, my entire personality changed. (laughs) Your personality changed. Okay. Well, listen, it's something that is, is... It's a crazy story, and it's a story, like I said, that I've been working on for a long time, and I want to I wanna piece it together in a way that makes sense. So I'm going to go a little chronologically with the story, but I'm also going to kind of go through the steps that I took to solve this. And before I even get started, I need to give a huge shout out and thank you to my friend Marika. She is in New Zealand. She is not related to me at all, but Marika is one of the best family researchers I have ever met in my life. And she is 
the definition of being resilient when it comes to research. She has helped me blow through this brick wall so easily, really, from her side. But it took it took time. It took it took a long time, but she was able to just keep at it and we would put this down for a long time. Like I said, this is nearly 30 years that we've been researching this person. And she had some ideas, she had some theories, and we just kept looking and looking and looking. And this past week we were able to figure out what happened. So Brendan, for you, I'm gonna I'm gonna dial it back a little bit. We're gonna go back in time and we're gonna start with my great great grandparents. So Brendan, these are your great 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 grandparents. Okay. Great, great, great. Three greats. So we're talking about my great great grandfather, John Henry Wastike. Okay. He was born in eighteen seventy one and he married a woman named Emma May Rogers and she was born in eighteen seventy four. Okay. So I didn't know these people. Obviously they're my great great grandparents. They they died a long time before I was born. I didn't even know their daughter or their granddaughter, which was my grandmother. I mean, they've been, they, we were talking about people that lived a long time ago. But what I want to start with with you is they had two children, okay? Their older daughter was my great-grandmother. Her name was Hazel. And Hazel married a guy named Fred Paul. And Fred Paul was my great-grandfather, obviously. And eventually they had my grandmother, whose name was Emily, which is your great-grandmother. Um, but this story doesn't necessarily revolve around them. In, in little ways it does, but it's about Hazel's brother. So John and Emma had Hazel first. She was born in 1897. And then two years later, they had a son named James. Okay? James Rogers Wustick was his name. And James, it's, it's kind of a crazy, it's a very sad story with him. But before we get to that, he was born in 1899 in Patterson, New Jersey. And when he was like about 19 years old, he married a woman. Her name was Anne. She uh, was born in England. She was a few years older than him, but they, they married in 1918. And a handful of years later, about four years later, they almost four years later, they had a daughter. And this is where this is where the this fun where starts. Get, this is where the twist turns. This Slip. is where it starts. Yep. So they had a daughter born in 1923. And they named her Hazel Bell. Okay. You know, it's not a name you hear often, but my my belief without, you know, knowing for a fact is that she was named after her aunt, which is my great grandmother, Hazel, who married Fred Paul. Okay. Okay. So Hazel Hazel Bell was born in 1923, which means that she was about five years younger than my grandmother. So they would have been cousins. Okay. Two girls. You know, their grandparents were John and Emma, and they were the only two granddaughters on that side of the family. Their son had a daughter, Hazel Bell. Their daughter had a daughter named Emily, which is my grandmother. Those were the granddaughters. So. For a while, when I first found out about her, I, I saw her, I think I first saw her in the 1930 census. Um, and I saw that she was living with her mom and that her dad was dead. I, I knew that James had died, you know, young. There's, it's on the headstone. He died in 1924. And his death was caused by an accidental dynamite explosion. 
So he was working in Pennsylvania. And what happened was he was drilling a hole. They were, they were digging for telephone poles. So this is, you know, the 1920s. Okay. There's a lot of these kind of projects yeah. going around, around yeah. the country. Yeah. And there was a stick of dynamite that had gotten in the ground. They didn't know it was there. Oof. And he was using what they, what they call a compressed air drill. And as he went to dig the hole with the drill, the drill hit the stick of dynamite and exploded. So the newspaper articles go into a lot of detail about how his he had a broken leg. He only a broken leg. No, he that was just the that was he was killed. He died, but yeah. his leg was broken. He was blind. He had lost his eyesight. It said he was injured from head to foot, like he was in he but was he's in bad shape. Dead. So if he wasn't well, I don't think he was instantly killed. I think he died later. I'd, I'd have to go back and look it up, but. The point of the story is that he was 24 years old and was killed in this accident, right? And at home, he had his wife, who he had been married for, you know, about six years. And he had a one-year-old daughter, Hazelbell. So Hazelbell grew up without her dad. Um, so so back, to, back to the census. So I find them in the census, and I see that Hazelbell is living with her mom, but also living in the house is her dad's mom, her grandmother, Emma. So, you know, it's kind of like if, you know, you and mommy were living with my mom kind of thing. So, you know, interesting setup, but that's, that's what they did back then. So I had seen them in the census. I had wondered, you know, what became of Hazel, though, because at this point she's seven years old. She's living with her mom and her grandmother, and there's really nothing else about it. She's a child, right? So there's not a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. Um, as time went on, I had found a birth announcement about her saying that Mr. and Mrs. James Wastike had welcomed a girl. So now I had a date of birth for her. And I, I was slowly over time able to find different things about her. Not a lot. Nothing that was like blowing my mind. But as with any research project, as time goes on, more records become available you develop different skills and different ways to, to research, right? So one of the things I remember finding, this is, this is years later, so this is probably 20 years into my research. This, this just goes to show you how things were. This was still at a point where I would have to write to the local library or history center um, and have them look up obituaries for me. Now there's websites. You could just go on, you could type in, you know, who you're looking for, the newspaper, and there's, there's millions and millions of newspapers that have been digitized through the years. So I wrote to one of the libraries, and I just wanted obituaries because I'd never seen obituaries for any of these people. So I wanted one for Emma, which is James's mother, my great-great-grandmother. I wanted one for John, the, the husband, the father. And what I noticed, and there was one, there was one clue I had leading into this. So I'm going to backtrack for a second. When my grandparents got married, it was 1941, okay? And what they did back then with a lot of the newspapers is they would list everybody that came to the wedding. So when I started reading this article, and it was cool for me because, like, my grandparents were married in 1941, like I said. So this is a long time ago. I didn't know them. They died before I was born. I didn't know most of the people that knew them. Like I knew some of my great uncles and stuff like that, but there really wasn't a lot of family. So 
you know, being able to read this article and see who was at the wedding and it describes the dress that my grandmother wore and the music that played. Like, it's really cool because it kind of, it paints this picture of what the wedding was like. Yeah. So one of the, you know, it it goes through all the guests, right? So it says the guests included and it just, it names everybody that was there. Wow. So what I had noticed was it said this one section, it said Mr. and Mrs. John Shaw, Hazel Wastike, and Mr. Roy Smith. And it said they were from Dover, New Jersey. So right away, I'm like, okay, this is telling me something. Like, there's here's Hazel Westike, and it's not it's my great-grandmother because that. my great-grandmother is married. Her name is Hazel, too, but she's Hazel Paul because she's married. So I'm like, all right, here's the cousin. Like, the cousin is now, this is 1941. And this is before the 1940 census was made available. So you know we'll get to that in a second so we're kind of working chronologically here but also kind of how i did my research okay so 1941 we see that hazel hazel bell was at my grandmother's wedding makes perfect sense because it's her first cousin right she's there you go to your cousin's wedding yeah i get it so we know we know that so i had had that little snippet of her so now let's let's go back to the obituaries so i write the letter to the library and I say, I'm looking for obituaries for John Westdyke and Emma Westdyke. He died in 1951. She died in 1946. Can you send me them? So they do. They do the research and they send them along. And the first clue, which is kind of what I was thinking was going was gonna to happen with Hazel Bell, is that when Emma died in 1946, mm-hmm. it lists the survivors, everybody that is, is still alive, you know, that survives this person. So think of when my grandmother died. Her obituary lists all of the people in the family that survive her, her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, you. You know, it lists everybody that she had around her. So Emma's obituary says that she's survived by two granddaughters, okay? okay? It lists my grandmother as one, and then it says Mrs. Roy Smith. So right away, I'm like, all right, Hazel married that guy. Hazel Bell married that guy, because in... The newspaper article, it said Hazel Westike and Mr. Roy Smith. So they were a couple. They were either dating or they were engaged. We're not sure. But now we know that by 1946, Hazel and Roy had married. Okay. And I keep calling her Hazel because that's kind of how she went, but her name was Hazel Bell. Okay. So, and then we look at John's obituary. He died a couple years later, and him and Emma ended up divorcing, which is a whole nother story for another whole day um but john's obituary basically says the same thing it says that he's survived by you know his granddaughters and it lists her um i think in his it may actually give her no her i'm looking at it now it says the same thing that he's survived by two granddaughters mrs william faulkner and mrs roy smith so mentions again she's married so all well and good so now i know all right eventually she got married great yeah you know yeah I start wondering if there's children, if there's, you know, like what her life became. And this is where it kind of starts to get interesting, right? Is that I went for years without finding anything about her. There was nothing. Eventually, the 1940 census came out. And when it came out, sure enough, I find Hazel in the, in the census. Um, what I had seen was that she 
was living with her her mom and her mom had remarried. So that that to me was interesting, right? Is that now I know, you know, as a young girl, her her dad died when she was a year old. He got blown up by by dynamite. And eventually we see that she remarried. You know, she her she lost her husband. She's raising a child all by herself. And she eventually finds, you know, somebody else and they marry. So and I, I knew that from the article, I kind of assumed that Mr. and Mrs. John Shaw, that that was probably the mom and her new husband. Sure enough, it was. Okay. So doesn't tell me much. It just kind of confirms what my theories were, right? That the mom, she was young. She was in her yeah. 20s. Maybe she was 30 when her, I'd have to look at it. I think she was like just about 30 when her husband was blown up. So a young woman. I mean, she could have married again had more children with the second husband, the whole thing. She didn't, but she could have, right? Because she yeah. was young. Yeah. So, again, confirms what I know, you know, not finding anything new for a long, long time now. So now I start going through this, this dry spell. I know that in 1941, she's at my grandmother's wedding. In 1946, when their grandmother died, she's married to this guy. 1951, when their grandfather died, still married to this guy. Great. But I keep saying, where is she? Like, why, why can't I find her? In I'm looking in, there's this thing called the Social Security Death Index. I'm looking in public records, and I'm looking for Hazel Bell Smith obituary, Hazel Bell Smith address. Oh, she alive? So, and this was my theory the whole time. Like, she probably alive she because at this, in the death thing. I didn't find her in the death index. I couldn't find an obituary, but it's also hard because you're you we're working with the name Smith, which is like you know it's Very. it's the the most common name there is, right? Like everybody has a right. It's a it's a hard name to research. So, looking, looking, looking not finding anything and every year i'm i'm very good with birthdays right so every year when her birthday would come up it's in september and i would kind of poke around right looking for if she had died that year you know it kind of reignite me right i would just i would would try to find her and i could never find anything (laughs) every time i looked i found nothing and i remember saying wow this year she would be 77 she'd be 78 she'd be 79 like in my head, I'm going, she's another year older, but I'm not finding an obituary. So she must be alive somewhere, right? Yeah. No luck. Uh, year after year after year, I keep looking. And then as, it, as the numbers get higher, I'm going, geez, she would be 85 now. Now she'd be 86, 87. And I'm going, I, I really, in my heart, thought that she was still alive, okay? So again, this goes on for years. This is probably like 15 years of research where I just don't know where she is. Did she die like while you were researching like for that much long? Okay. That's not, we're not going to skip ahead. We're going to, you're going to find the answer in the end. So a couple of years ago, and I, you have to understand, I've tried using all different kinds of research methods. I have looked on Google, I've looked on Ancestry, I've looked at all these different places where you could find records, right? Google searches most of the internet. Doesn't search everything, fun fact, but like it searches a lot of things, right? So and usually what you get in Google is like the you know the best search results, right? So I would look and nothing. 
There's just nothing out there that's coming up. And I would do the same search every once in a while. Hazel Bell Westdyke, Roy Smith, I would look for them. And then all of a sudden, one year, I happened to type it in, and there's this thing that comes up, and it's a digital book, and it's published by the FBI. <gasps> okay. By the, uh, wait, say that again? Published by the FBI. Okay. Wait a minute. The FBI could write books? So what, what it is, it's a monthly journal they would release called the FBI, I think it's called the Law Enforcement Bulletin or something like you that. You found her in there. So what I found with her is that, and this is where the story starts to get really interesting, and there's, there's so many layers to the story, and I often wonder, you know, to get their side of the story, I would, I would love to know what they would have had to say about all of this. Um. The, the name of the book was the FBI Law Enforcement Bulletin. It was published in January of 1955. It was volume 24, number one, is what they, what they have on the cover. And in, in the book, there's a page that comes up because Google searches these things. Okay. And there's this big article. And I'm going I'm to read it to you because I, I think it's interesting and it, it, it gives the detail that we, we want to discuss here. So it... This article comes up, and the title is Wanted by the FBI. Okay? Wait. So I have a theory. We don't have a theory yet, because let me just, uh, I'll go through what it says. So it says, Roy Wesley Smith with alias Robert William Stanley. Okay? And the article starts. It says, Roy Wesley Smith is being sought by the FBI for violation of the Selective Service Act of 1940. He failed to report for induction on September 24th, 1942, as ordered by local draft board number five at Dover, New Jersey. Smith, accompanied by his wife and a black and white male cocker spaniel named Pal, disappeared from Dover, New Jersey on September 6th, 1942. Investigation disclosed that the Smiths fled to Alabama, where Smith assumed a new identity under the name of Robert William Stanley. He worked at a shipbuilding company in Mobile, Alabama from September 1942 to April 1943. During this time period, he registered under the Selective Service Act in December of 1942 at Citronelle, Alabama, under the alias of Robert Stanley. Again, he failed to report for induction as ordered. The draft evader next moved to Shreveport, Louisiana, where he worked for a millwork firm and a spice company. A daughter was born to the Smiths on February 6, 1944 at Shreveport. The fugitive, his wife, infant daughter, and pal left Shreveport in March 1944. In the same month, Smith registered an old model four-door sedan in the state of Texas under his alias of Robert Stanley. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a minute. So, I see you staring at me. What happened was men were required to register for the selective service, which if there was a draft means they would go to war, okay? This was the time when World War II was happening. So basically they said, listen, you have to, you have to register and you may go to war. And his, his number came up and he didn't want to go to war. So he just didn't show up, okay? Okay. Not good. Like, Not if the good. government says you need to do something, you need to do it. So he don't, he don't want to go to war. 
So they fled. And not only did they flee, they changed their names. So now it's hard to find them. So now people are looking for them, but they can't find them because they have different names. But the government's on to them. The government is saying, we know that Roy Wesley Smith changed his name to Robert William Stanley. So now we're looking for him. He went from New Jersey to, uh, what did it say first? He went to Alabama, then to Louisiana, and then to Texas. Okay? So there's this pattern of them moving south. Alabama, Louisiana, Texas, right? The government's yeah. kind of finding them. Yeah, the government's catching on to them. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the rest of the, the story that they have here. So it says, on May 23rd, 1944, a federal grand jury at Newark, New Jersey, returned an indictment charging Smith with violating the Selective Training and Service Act of 1940. Acquaintances have said that the fugitive is unsociable in nature and timid and shy in manner. I'll pause for a second. So now they're asking his friends, what's he like? And his friends are saying he's not really very social. He's kind of shy. He's timid. So you're, you're wondering about this guy. Like, it doesn't seem like a guy that would want to go to war if he's yeah. shy and, you know, unsociable, right? Okay. So the rest of the story says Smith is believed to be accompanied by his wife and their 10-year-old daughter. Now, I'm going to pause. This is the point where and I found this article. I almost jumped through the ceiling. I was so excited <laughs> to finally find her name in something and go, all right, now, now I have an update. Now I know. Now I know where she is. At least at, at this time period, right? So this was published in 1955. But we're talking about something that happened about 10 years earlier, e even, even more, really. This was published in 55. We're talking about him not showing up for war in 1942, 43, 44. Like this is the World War II time period, okay? So it says, Smith is believed to be accompanied by his wife and their 10-year-old daughter, his wife, Hazelbel Wustyke Smith. Oh, my God. With alias Hazel Virginia Stanley has been described as approximately 30 years old, five feet, three inches tall, weighing 100 pounds and having light blonde hair, fair complexion and blue eyes with one eye, quote, cocked. She is said to have a dark brown or black birthmark the size of a penny on the back of one leg near the ankle. Their daughter, now of grammar school age, was named Linda Louise Stanley at birth. And it is thought that she is enrolled in school under that name, the name Linda Louise Smith, or some variation thereof. So now we have an update, right? Now we know that she has a child, she has a daughter, and it gives, you know, a, a estimated date of birth on the daughter and, and things like that. So the rest of the article goes on to say, it has a subtitle that says, Caution. And it says, Smith is known to have in his possession a twenty-two caliber rifle. And he is reported to be an expert marksman. Oh, my God. Okay. So this is somebody that now has a gun, a twenty-two caliber rifle. And they're saying that he's, he's a very good shot, basically. An expert marksman, which means that he could, he could aim and, and hit very well. Shoot an apple off a child's head. Probably. So it says he should be considered dangerous and care should be exercised in affecting his apprehension. He's described as follows. The data for weight and other factors subject to change, but this was as of 1944. 
and it gives a bunch of physical descriptions of him, right? He's six feet tall. He was 160 pounds, medium build, black hair with a part on one side, brown eyes, sallow complexion. He was white. He was American. He went to high school. You know, it gives you some stuff. Yeah. It also has his photo in here. So oh. there's a mugshot. You can't see it right now because the computer's not facing you. But his face is is there. So, yeah, I'll let you come step up for a second. You could come around. We're going to let Brendan out of his chair for a minute. And he's going to take a okay. look. One sec, guys. He's going to take a look at Roy. So here you are now. So this is him. Okay. Okay. All right. So gives his photo, which is cool. So we're going to, you know, we're, we're, we're going to look at that and go, all right, now we have a face, right? Because I've never seen this man before. But now I at least know what he looks like. Yeah. doesn't really help me much. Yeah, I know you. But now I'm getting kind of a complete story, right? So now I know she married. I have his picture. I still don't know what she looks like, but I have a description of her. And what's funny about this is as soon as I read that, there's some photos that I have that were with my grandmother's things that are in the other room here. And as soon as it described her as having light blonde hair, this image in my mind of these, this woman in these photos pops into my mind. And I go, ooh, that must be Hazel Bell in those photos. Because it's exactly that. There's one picture of this girl with who would be their grandfather, John Westdyke, who we talked about. So I'm like, well, that would make sense. He's taking a photo with his granddaughter. Then there's pictures of her that were studio photographs. So immediately, those handful of pictures pop into my mind. And I go, that's got to be her. They're not labeled because most photos back then weren't labeled. But in my mind, I'm going, okay, now I, th I think that that's Hazel, Hazel Bell. But can't prove it, right? It's just the, the girl in these photos that I have that were belonging to my grandmother matches the physical description that this article gave, okay? So again, nothing you can do with it. So this was my major update, right? That we found them, 1955, the FBI publishes this thing. His face is in the newspaper and all of these things. So they're, you know, they're going to town trying to find this guy. But again, this is 13 years after he didn't show up for, for war, basically, right? So now, now I have a name. Right. So now I have the new name, Robert William Stanley. So I start going through it. and I should have told you, like I had a copy of. Well, no, I didn't actually have a copy with this because now I found a middle name because the name Roy Smith is very, very generic, very hard to research. Yeah. Somebody named Roy Smith. But now I know it's Roy Wesley Smith. Okay. So this opens up a little bit of opportunity for me because now I have a middle name. Okay. Okay. So what I was able to find was there's these things called draft registration cards. And what they are is just a, it's an index card that you filled out with all your information to register for the war. So right away I find his draft registration card. And it says Roy Wesley Smith. It has his date of birth, his mother's name, where he lived, all these different things. And it was totally accurate to, to who he was. Okay, But then what I did was I looked at the alias because the article says that he also registered under his new fake name, which is kind of weird. Like, yeah. if you registered for the war and you weren't going to go, why would you register again with a fake name? Because what if you get called under that name? 
to go to war, right? Yeah. Like if you're trying to avoid war, try to avoid war. But for whatever reason, he registered again and he registered under the alias Robert William Stanley. And sure enough, I found that index card too. That in, you know, and it, what it did was it changed his, he changed his date of birth. So he used a different birthday with a different year. And he signed it with the new name that he was using. Like kind of, kind of weird, right? That you would like avoid war, but you would still register under a fake name. So I found that and it says on there that the person who will always know his address is Virginia Stanley, a.k.a. Hazel Bell Westdyke, a.k.a. Oh. Hazel Bell Smith. So now we see that he lists her as Virginia Stanley, okay? Not Hazel Virginia, just Virginia, okay? So I never would have found this because you're talking about people that went from Roy Wesley Smith and Hazel Westdyke Smith to Robert William Stanley and Virginia Stanley. So th those names were never going to come up because they're completely different names. So I get some of these updates on them and through, you know, some other research methods that I use, I was able to eventually find different things about the family. So you have to realize how far I went to try to find these people. I was able to find out that Hazelbell's mother died in 1968 and she's actually buried very close to where we live, not far away at all. So right away, I was like, all right, maybe, maybe Hazelbell's buried there. Maybe when she eventually died, she got buried there. So I went to the cemetery. I found the graves, and it turns out that it's her mom and her mom's second husband, her stepdad, John Shaw, and John's mom and dad are there. Nobody else. And it looks like the graves hasn't, haven't been visited in years, like nobody goes. So then I found out what the funeral home was that they used. Okay, so I'm like, all right, let me call the funeral home because maybe they could tell me who paid for the funeral. Maybe Hazel paid for her mother's funeral, just doesn't go to the grave. We're not sure. Turns out when I called the funeral home, he said, we normally would have the records, but unfortunately they were stolen years ago because we put them on microfilm, which is like, um, like old film that you would use. You haven't, you haven't really been exposed to microfilm, but they allow you to put a whole bunch of records on this little roll and then you use a machine to, to look at the records. And he's like, we kept it in our safe where we kept cash and somebody stole the cash and they stole everything that was in the safe. So they don't have records for the funeral. So he can't even tell me who paid for it. But I was able to find her obituary and in the survivors, it doesn't even list that she survived by her daughter. So now I'm going, okay, she died in 1968. We know in 1955 they were looking for Hazel Bell. Maybe she died young. Maybe she, you know, something happened, right? And she, she passed away. No luck with anything, okay? So time goes on. The funeral home can't help me. The cemetery can't help me. I kind of take a pause, right? Because a lot of the times you need to just take a break because you could drive yourself crazy with research. So at some point, I found the obituary for Roy's father and mother. So or his father is, I think, the one that I found. So I think, okay, maybe his dad's obituary is going to list him as a survivor, right? It doesn't. It makes no mention of him at all. And I'm, I'm looking at it now. So now this is, you know, this is his dad. It says he's survived by a nephew 
of Florida. You know, and there's there's names in here, but okay. it says that he's survived by a nephew. It doesn't even mention that he has a son. So now I'm going, all right, this is really weird because his dad died in 1983. Her mom died in 1968. Her stepdad died in 1960. And none of these obituaries mention that they're survived by their children. So I'm going, all right, what happened to them? Like, why are they not around? Why are they not mentioned anywhere? Okay. I even went as far when I found out where they lived. So when the 1940 census came out, and I'm, I'm kind of going a little bit out of order, but it's okay. When the 1940 census came out, Hazel Bell was 16 or 17 years old, and it gave the address of the house, okay? I drove to the house. The house is not far from here, and I was curious, you know, who lived there. I looked up the owners. I found out when it was sold, and there was no leads there. Nobody knew anything about any of this. Okay. So every every way I tried to look at the story just led to a dead end. There really wasn't anything leading me to Hazel Bell or Roy or the daughter or anything. I just, I had no idea what had happened to these people. Okay. So, you know, time goes on and we take a break. You know, we now know that, you know, like I said, we knew when the mother died, we knew when his father died. I went to the cemetery and found out where his parents are buried. I found their headstone. There's no sign of anybody visiting any of these graves. Okay. So okay. I'm kind of, I was kind of at a standstill. I had no idea what to do with this. So last week, my friend in New Zealand, who I mentioned earlier, Marika, she took it upon herself out of nowhere to start to look at them again, to look for these people. And she used the daughter's name and she went into the 1950 census, which came out a couple years ago. So now in this census, Hazel Bell would have been in her, she would have been like 26 years old. Okay. And she would have been married at this point and she would have had, you know, this daughter that it mentioned. And what she found was a couple in Texas living in Houston that used the name, you ready for this? Yeah. It was listed as Jean Stickle was the last name that they used. It said Hazel V. Stickle and Linda L. Stickle. So right off the bat, we're like, those names make sense, except for the husband. Where did Jean come from? Like Eugene, short for Eugene, but Jean. Yeah. So Marika helps me out and she starts doing some searching and this and that. And she finds an obituary for Hazel Virginia Stickle, okay, in 2013. What? So now I know all of this time I've been looking for her up until 2013, she was alive. She died just shy of her 90th birthday, okay? They lived in Houston all this time. And they ended up having nine children. I'm not going to give out a lot of information because this is now where these are, these are the identities that they used. But what we found was that there were nine children. We found the online obituary for Hazel. She went by Hazel. And there were some photos that the family had provided and they were uploaded to the, the online obituary. And it is 100% her. 
there's actually a photo of her and her husband and their children, and you could see clear as day that it's Hazelbell, it's Roy, it's their children. There's pictures of her when she was young. There's pictures of her when she was older. Our mystery has been solved. So she lived in Texas with her family. She raised nine children. Some of them died young. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that I've been able to take this story and finally see it through because this is somebody who changed her name multiple times and it was just because he didn't want to go to war. So I don't even think that this is like a bad story. They're criminals, but it's not like there, there was no murders involved or anything as far as we know. They just didn't want, he didn't want to go to war and they, they didn't, but they had to go on the run and hide from the police and stuff. So she lived her life in Texas. It, is sad to me because she obviously had a relationship with my grandmother and she was at her wedding and things like that. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things. I wonder what my grandmother would have had to say about this because her cousin just disappeared. Right. And her cousin lived a long time. She lived to be almost 90. That's crazy. And nobody knew what happened to her. But thanks to my friend Marika in New Zealand, we've now solved the mystery we know that Hazel lived, like I said, to be almost 90. She had children and grandchildren. Roy, we believe, died in 2002. I'm waiting for confirmation on that. But he lived a long time. And I'm, I'm very happy that we, we closed the door on, wow. on this story. So what do you think of that? That's crazy. That's cool, right? That's crazy, yeah. So, I mean, the, the point in, in sharing it with you is these are the things that happen in people's families. You know, there's story you you can't choose your ancestors, right? You don't get to choose the stories that happen with your family. You don't get to go, nah, I don't like that story. I don't want to put it in the family tree. These are the stories that really keep people coming back from more. And I understand like from your perspective, you may go, All right, Daddy, great deal. Like, you know, great story. They didn't want to go to war. They ran away. They changed their name. Who cares? But when you spend time researching your family, and you're trying to find people. And like I said to you, I knew they were alive. I knew for a fact that they were alive. And I just couldn't find them. And it's one of those things. And I, I hear you getting shocked by this. You're going, oh, you know, like it's crazy that they were alive this whole time. And we found them. We now know the story. So, you know, it's one of those things I, I would like to make contact with some of my cousins because I have cousins in Texas from this. And maybe if somebody's listening, they'll, you know, maybe who knows? There's weirder ways are that there, connections have been made. Are there kids still alive? Yeah. So there's there's like about six children as far as I know that are alive. There's some grandchildren that are alive. Probably great grandchildren at this point, I'd have to guess. Oh. But this is um, this is our family. And this is, you know, my grandmother's first cousin. Like I said, I looked for her for a long, long time. I have photos of her as a kid. I have photos of her with her grandfather. So it's it's sad in a way that she left the family. But it makes me happy to know that she, she had a life down there. She was married for a long time. She had children and grandchildren and, you know, all that stuff. So wh- what do you think? That's insane. It's crazy, That's right? It's crazy. And it's it's a hard life, right? She lost her dad as a baby. Yeah, she lost uh, you know, she lost her dad when she was a baby and you know, she had no memory of him obviously. She was only 11 months old. And she had her mother, she had her stepdad, she had her stepdad's family around her. 
but you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff there that, you know, I would have loved to have talked to her about this cause I would have loved to know if she'd be willing to even share the story and the background, if she knew, if she forgot, I'm not sure. I don't know what her story was, but I don't, I don't accuse anything, anybody of being anything more than themselves. And this is just an interesting story. And, and the reason for sharing it is to just talk about the process and what you need to go through sometimes to find somebody because you, you can't give up. I've said it. I, I think it's just a theme at this point. I say in every episode, you're never done researching your family. So yeah. I know you've talked about wanting to do it. I would welcome you to do it. Even though I've done so much. I mean, look next to you, all those boxes, that's all family history stuff. You see each one of your great grandparents on each one of those boxes and everything inside them relates to that grandparent. So there's tons and tons of information that we have on the family, but I'm never done. There's always more to be found. Yeah. And it's something that it's a, it's a fun hobby. It's, it's not a cheap hobby. It definitely gets expensive doing all this, but it's something that when you, when you finally find what you've been looking for, there's no feeling like it. And this was so yeah. exciting for me. I sat straight up on the couch because the first thing my friend sent me was the pictures of who I thought was Hazel Bell next to an old woman. And I'll show you when we're done recording. There's no doubt that it is her. Like it's like you went, oh yeah, duh. That's what she would have looked like as an old lady. And sure enough, it was her. So absolutely mind blowing. I hope to make contact with some of the, the cousins. Who knows? Maybe somebody would be willing to come on the podcast and talk about it. Wow. But this is this is why I do what I do. I mean, it's the reason I always say everyone has a story, right? Yeah. And this is her story. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a kick out of this. That's crazy. Do you have any questions for me? No, not really. No? No. So, I mean, nobody can see him except for me right now, but his eyes are wide. He's like looking at me as though he just heard the craziest thing. So super exciting you know week for me to to figure this out and to put it all together and find the names of the kids and the grandkids and the whole thing and i'll tell you what we have another story coming up soon also about my maternal side of the family that if you think this is crazy brendan the next one is even crazier and the next one involves dna and family trees more aliases it is something that I never, ever, ever saw coming. And what I've said to people for years is that when you do family history, you need to be willing to accept anything. You, like I just said to you a second ago, you don't get to choose your ancestors. You don't get to choose how they behaved, what they did, where they went, how they acted, any of it. And over the last four or five years, I have eaten a lot of humble pie when it comes to that statement because I thought my family was very vanilla for a long time. I didn't think there was a lot going on. It was pretty straightforward. They were born. They had jobs. They had kids. They died. Nothing really super exciting. Yeah. And over the last handful of years, I found stuff like this. People running from the law. People changing their names. I found murders in the family. I found all kinds of different things that have just absolutely blown my mind so we're going to do another episode about all this we're going to get into this other story that i'm telling you if you think this one's crazy 
just wait till we do the next one on my family because it's going to absolutely blow your mind. Wow. So, Brendan, thanks for hanging out with me. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. You did? Yeah. Good stuff. So. Bye. And for those that are listening, thank you for listening. uh, And we will talk to you on the next episode. Have a good one. Take care. Thanks again for listening to today's show. As always, if you or someone you know has an interesting story or would like to talk about your research findings, please visit www.rootseveryonehasastory.com or email rootseveryonehasastory at gmail.com. You can also follow the show on both Facebook and Instagram at Roots Everyone Has a Story and listen on both Spotify and Apple Podcast. This show and its music is written and produced by my dad, Mike Scazzeri. Thanks again for listening.